Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Lavroidis. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at nixonfoundation.org. This week marks the 47th anniversary of President Nixon's historic trip to China. We often hear about the trip in a purely diplomatic context, but how was it planned, executed, and captured on television for the American people and the world to see? To unpack the story, we are joined again by Dwight Chapin. Chapin started his career in politics as a personal aide to President Nixon and went on to serve as White House Appointment Secretary and Deputy Assistant to the President. He's been at the center of some of the most monumental events of the Nixon presidency, including serving as Acting Director of Protocol during the China trip. He also oversaw the White House television office and presidential travel. Mr. Chapin, welcome. Hi, good morning. Just to kind of start off, President Nixon announced his historic trip to China on July 15th, 1972. Um, where were you when he announced this? And did you have an idea? I, I had no idea he was going to be making that particular announcement, but I did go with him to the Burbank Studios in Southern California and was in the studio itself when he made the announcement to the American public. What was your, what was your reaction to it? We were stunned. Everybody was stunned. The media was stunned. The world was stunned. I mean, it was it was really, really a big deal. In terms of domestic political impact, um, what was sort of what what kind of impact do you think it had? Well, the impact of the trip was uh, incredible. I mean, it was first of all, it was such so unexpected, and then with Nixon being uh, viewed as a conservative Republican. Uh, it made it even uh, more surprise. Uh, there was more surprise to it. But I think it also gave uh, a feeling of confidence among at least the American people that Richard Nixon wasn't about ready to go to China and give anything away, that he was an, known as an anti-communist. And uh, the public at large felt, felt very secure about his going and uh, him representing the United States. There were two, two or three trips before the uh, presidential uh, visit in February of 1972. One was the July trip uh, that Dr. Kissinger went on, and then there was an October uh, planning trip. Uh, the July trip was dubbed Polo 1, and uh, the one in October was Polo 2. You went on that trip. How did you get chosen uh, to be uh, sort of the, uh, a person on that trip? Yes, there were, I believe, six or seven of us that went on Polo 2 uh, with Henry Kissinger, and I was chosen because uh, I was the uh, person responsible for the advance operation, uh, which was run by Ron Walker, actually. Uh, but I, I oversaw that, and uh, I had been deeply involved with presidential planning for a number of years, and and therefore I... I think the president and Bob Haldeman, who was my immediate superior, uh, thought I would be the right one to go and work on the logistics. Nixon and Kissinger were the um, masterminds behind the trip. Um, But General Alexander Haig said something very poignant as you and uh, Chief Advance Man Ron Walker, who you mentioned, were about to plan the trip. Um, He said, if we don't do this right, then the trip itself is going to suffer essentially the the success of the whole initiative. Um, outside of the outside of diplomacy, can you touch upon the imp- the critical importance of planning for such an event? Yes, it was imperative uh, because of the the world attention, let alone the attention 
by all of the media in the United States and the foreign policy community, it was critically important that everything be executed perfectly. And therefore, we, we did an extraordinary amount of preparation on this trip. We had the uh, exploratory trip in October that you have mentioned, and then uh, General Haig took a group of us back in January for a follow-up trip, and then we went with the president uh, in February of 1972. But <clears throat> everything, every detail had been planned out to the ultimate. We had taken over, for planning purposes, the bomb shelter in the that's directly underneath the White House. We converted the uh, conference room in the bomb shelter to a planning trip for uh, the president's trip to China. And basically, we used that as a headquarters for three or four months while we brought all the plans together. Haig said something interesting regarding um, uh, sort of measuring every minute. He said that's what the Chinese do. He said that, you know, uh, the Chinese love whiskey, but they measure they measure every minute of of and, and sip that uh, their their American counterparts uh, partake of. Um, could you touch upon the Chinese China's attention to detail and how your team uh, responded to it? The Chinese took the attitude uh, that they were learning from us. Now, have in mind that they've been around for thousands of years and so forth, but they they put themselves into a learning mode. Uh, and indeed, our, our people had done more uh, modern day world travel and events than the Chinese had. So the Chinese looked at it as a real learning experience. So everything we did, they studied uh, in depth. Every piece of equipment we, we brought over, they wanted the plans for the equipment. In fact, in many cases, with the television and more technological type equipment that we took there, they wanted to buy every piece of that equipment, obviously, so they could take and copy it and improve upon it and have it for their own general use. But <clears throat> it was very, very interesting how they, they latched onto every single thing that we did and studied it in detail. Could you take us a little bit through the sort of strategic planning and setup. Um, this is a little bit different of a state visit. You weren't working through an embassy. There was no uh, U.S. embassy in China. Um, there were, uh, it was a new relationship, so there wasn't that much, or at least no diplomatic protocol between the U.S. and China, um, as well as, you know, uh, uh, consistent uh, communication. Um what went into setting this up with such with such a bare bones um, sort of uh, communication infrastructure? Well, we we uh, the Nixon team is was known for its uh, in depth planning and and our ensuring that all of the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. President Nixon personally made it clear to us that we were to take into account all of the requests that the Chinese made. Uh, the primary example, one of the most serious examples from a Secret Service point of view, was the Chinese wanted us to fly on a Chinese airplane. Uh, the president never had flown on another nation's aircraft. And we succumbed to doing that in China uh, because uh, the president wanted to 
let's make sure that we did not do anything where it would interrupt the saving of their face, uh, you know, the, the, the posturing of things to the world. So Nixon had, had, a, had a real touch for this. He knew, he knew that many of our rules and the kinds of things that we demanded had to be kind of shuffled to uh, the, the back on this particular trip. And this was a new frontier. Uh, what what other sort of you had mentioned the uh, flying on the Chinese plane? What sort of pitfalls um, did the White House team try to avoid? Well, the main uh, our our main pitfall, uh, if you can call it that, was we, we tried to work with the Chinese to make sure that there were the minimum number of surprises, the minimum number of. Uh, changes to the calendar, to the schedule. Uh, my counterpart uh, was, uh, his name was Han Shu. He later became the first ambassador to the United States when we uh, had formal relationships. Uh, and, and Han Su and I would go back and forth constantly on what the plans were going to be. To the Chinese credit, uh, they never, ever told us something and then later changed their mind. They, they, they maybe wouldn't tell us what was going to happen on a given day. And we were frustrated beyond belief by the fact that we did not know exactly what was going to happen. But when, once they told us, we could be assured that it would happen exactly the way they told us it was going to happen. So in terms of our planning, some of the stops that we made and, and the activities at those stops we did not know until uh, shortly before we left the United States for China. One of those, could you tell us a little bit about the the sort of musical play that uh, that Nixon went to the the Red Detachment of Women and Women? Red, and ha- right. Yeah, the Red Detachment of Women. It was one of the evenings. I forget which which evening it was at, was, but um, it was a very uh, as aggressive. Uh, Chinese propaganda play, uh, and uh, the president sat there, uh, took it in, clapped, uh, and so forth. But it was obviously uh, the posturing of Chinese propaganda to the nth degree uh, that night. One of the iconic photos of the, or the most iconic photo of the trip is President Nixon um, stepping off Air Force One and uh, leading with his hand to shake the, um, shake the hand of uh, Premier Cho An Lai. This was a, this was a gesture made to uh, counter uh, Secretary of State John Foster Dulles' refusal to shake Premier Cho's, Premier Cho's hand during the Geneva Conference of 1954. Um, how did that, how did you, how were you, how were you all able to capture, uh, that photo? Can you, can you take us through, uh, that event? Well, I, I think the, first of all, the president was well aware of the sensitivities that Premier Cho and Lai had, uh, and the embarrassment of John Foster Dulles not shaking his hand. So as the president came down the steps of Air Force One, and I do not believe Maybe other than Henry Kissinger, I don't know that he discussed it with anyone else. Uh, but as he got to the bottom step and, and, and start, started towards Premier, Premier Cho, 
he his hand is out. If you look at a uh, video of it or a motion picture uh, view of it, you'll see that he put his hand forward uh, far in advance of what you normally would do when you were greeting someone. And uh, that that made it possible for the photographers to uh, get the great, great photos of that that they got in and for that message of uh, of warmth to be uh, well documented. You were talking about a little bit about surprises. Um, one of the surprises that Dr. Kissinger and uh, Ambassador Winston Lord often talk about was meeting um, Chairman Mao. Uh, could you talk a little bit about um, how this how this event unfolded? Yeah, well, that's a it's a good story because uh, we had just finished lunch in the guest house. We had just we had just arrived, uh, gone to the guest house, had a, had a little bite to eat. Everybody was going to kind of take a break for a couple of hours before the first event. And I was walking through the front of the guest house where the president was staying. uh, And the doors came open and there was Premier Cho. And uh, he was with Han Su, uh, my counterpart. And uh, Han Su said, we we would like to take uh, President Nixon to meet uh, Chairman uh, Mao. And this was completely unexpected. So I went down the hall. I found Bob Haldeman. I said, the uh, premier Cho and Lai's here, and, and he wants to take uh, the president to go meet Chairman Mao. So everybody kind of uh, went into rapid mode, and we went and found, got uh, Mr. Nixon, the president, uh, who was uh, in a sport coat in his room uh, with Mrs. Nixon. And he immediately put on his uh, suit jacket, came out, and off they went in a motorcade. I mean, maybe Premier Cho had to wait, oh, at the maximum five minutes before they were off and on their way to see Chairman Mao. It was completely unexpected in terms of timing. In a previous podcast, we talked about the importance of a president's time. And the most important thing the president has is his time to think um, plan and execute. Um, on this trip, how was the president's time effectively managed? Well, uh, as I said, the, uh, the president who would normally probably stake out more private, uh, personal time for thinking and reading his briefing books and so forth, he acquiesced to the requests of the Chinese for various events. So we probably had more on the schedule than, than we would have if we had been totally in charge of the trip ourselves. Um, <clears throat> but he did use the time uh, between events to do his uh, note-taking. He took extensive notes. Uh, he did his diary. Uh, he, he read his briefing books and prepared for whatever the next event was, and he would meet with Dr. Kissinger uh, and uh, regarding the trip, Secretary Rogers, and then uh, he would meet with Bob Haldeman regarding matters of state for which he was still responsible, even though we were in China, things had to still keep running back in America. You were ahead of the, you're in the capacity of acting director of protocol, but you were also head of the White House television office. Um, what was the television? Could you tell us a little bit about the television strategy uh, behind the 
behind the trip. Yes, this is one of the single most important aspects of the whole trip. Basically, Nixon went to China, but the entire country went with him. Uh, And that was done by television. And there there was a a 12-hour difference between China and the United States. So in China, when it was evening, uh, it was morning in the United States. So on the morning shows, you would have uh, the night event, the nighttime events in China. And, uh, conversely, you would have when it was morning in China, uh, and the president was off to do something like go to the great wall of China. Uh, it would be nighttime in the United States and all of the networks at that time, there were, there were no cable networks. Uh, so all of the, the three prime networks were carrying, uh, the China trip, morning and night, a big time. I mean, I'm talking about three or four hour blocks twice a day. And so the public, and the other thing that's so important on the, on the television is that we had, the American public had really never seen China and they were seeing it the first time by going along on this journey with the president and Mrs. Nixon. And I I should underscore that Mrs. Nixon's uh, various, uh, trips when she was there, uh, various visits to historic sites, to schools and so forth, were uh, they weren't equal to, to President Nixon's, but they, they carried a great deal of interest too because she was into a lot of the cultural type things, uh, schools and so forth, that, that brought, brought a human side to the whole trip. Talk a little bit about media. Um... Much has been written about President Nixon's complex relationship with the press, the media. Um, how was how was that um, complex relationship, or how was that relationship? How did that relationship play out on the trip to China? On the trip to China, well, first of all, the president had a very rocky relationship with the media. It it goes back historically to uh, pre Eisenhower days, then Nixon being the political touchstone during the Eisenhower years, his running against uh, the, the media favorite Jack Kennedy for the presidency in 1960, uh, his defeat in California and the obituary that wouldn't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. Uh, I mean, so he, he, he had been uh, written off by the media several, <laughs> several different times and, and he kept popping back. And I think that kind of agitated the media. On the other side, they, they did acknowledge his extensive knowledge and uh, his, his terrific skill in the foreign policy area. And this, uh, the surprise of the visit, of the announcement of going to China, and the mystery of it all, uh, virtually all of the media wanted to go to China with Nixon. And at the outset, I can remember him in a, a meeting we had in the Oval Office. He said he was going to, he says, I think I'll take like 10 or 12 uh, media people, kind of a pool, rather than taking a, you know, a whole contingency. Well, as you may know, it ended up being, I think, close to 150, maybe, maybe 200 media that were credentialed to go with us. And so, so the, uh, the media were really uh, brought into the trip. Uh, uh, they were uh, 
not mesmerized, but they were, they were caught up in it. Uh, that it was, it was a new thing for them too. And for the most part, they were very supportive and, uh, gave, gave a very fair coverage to president Nixon, uh, on the whole journey. You talk a little bit about the element of surprise. Um, it surprised, I mean, surprised the American people. It surprised uh, conservatives within the Republican Party, many of which did not like it. Um, but in the wake of a presidential campaign in 1972, um, what did this trip convey to the American people? Well, it conveyed to the American people that they had a president that was uh, highly competent, that was opening up a uh, cautiously opening up to China. It conveyed, and you just hit the nail on the head, the fact that there was a conservative element that opposed the trip to China, but that Nixon went ahead. Uh, that that probably drew in uh, a number of a great number of independents and Democrats uh, who. Uh, were questioning whether Nixon was too conservative, but the fact that he reached out to do this trip probably helped him uh, significantly in 1972. Looking back, now it's 47 47 years on. um, Do you think there'll ever be anything like this ever again? Never. Uh, We went to Russia in May of 1972, but it could not begin to uh, equal the excitement and the, uh, uh, the the suspense, the mystery, the the newness of the opening of China. There has been, other than uh, the recent visit that that President Trump had uh, with the leader of North Korea, uh, that that's the only thing that that even kind of touches near it. But it had did not have any of the mag, near the magnitude that Nixon's trip to China had. Our guest today is Dwight Chapin, personal aide, appointment secretary, and deputy assistant to President Nixon. Our topic was the planning and execution behind President Nixon's historic trip to China. Mr. Chapin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or your favorite podcast app. This is Jonathan Mavroides and your Belinda. <laughs>